Testing. Testing. Hey guys, it's Will and Keith. I'm Keith. And I'm Will. And I'm Will. Oh God. <laughs> oh, you are amazing. This podcast is amazing. The, the microphone just just set itself on fire. I love this podcast already. <laughs> Will and Keith embrace the process. I don't know where the mic should be. I gotta put it on its pedestal. I said the altar. Oh yes. Worship the microphone. Bow down before its glory. Make love to the snowball. <laughs> <laughs> and that's from our new hip hop single, "Make Love to the Snowball," featuring Rihanna. If it's it's not, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> hey, Will. Nice to see you again. Hey, nice to see you. Can I pour you a little coffee? Yeah, I would love that in my retro Kansas mug. I bought that mug in Kansas. Just at a random truck stop in Kansas. I liked it. I wanted it. I bought it for like three dollars, and I've never regretted it for a day. It's great, isn't it nice? It's cute. It's it looks like a souvenir from the seventies. Yeah, it looks like a mug that someone designed while they were also designing the first computer. <laughs> <laughs> and the computer caught on, and the mug, you know, yeah. ended up at a truck stop in Kansas. Yeah. Well, whatever computer it was has gone long by the wayside, but this mug. Ah. Lives on. That's a good point. It's the tortoise and the hare story. Mm -hmm. The computer and the mug. Cheers. Cheers. Welcome back. We are now, we should let our listeners know, we are now able to be indoors together again. Yeah. So we don't have to be in a garage or on a porch. We're in an actual room like human beings. But you know, the garage was pretty cozy. It was. It was pretty nice, and uh, I know my mom and my brother were both tickled pink by our setup there. Apparently it was very picturesque. Oh, I saw Devin taking a picture, but I didn't see the picture. I still haven't seen that picture either. He's so withholding. Yeah. You're so withholding, Devin. Devin, if you're listening to this, which, which you, I doubt... You better be. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'd love to see that, that picture. Apparently we made, quite, we made quite an image. Sitting there drinking coffee at a, at a rickety table in the middle of a garage. It was a pretty picturesque garage. We have a we have. It was a, a first world garage. <laughs> we have a strong effect, I think. I hope so. Our like, presence. I like to believe it. That's why we do it a podcast, so no one can see. Correct. It, we'd be too. It'd be like it'd be like looking at Zeus in his true form. That's right. It would, would probably strike you blind. You'd die. Yes. Yeah, we don't want that. We don't want to kill our listeners, or at least not in that particular way. Not all of them. Not all of them. You know who you are. If we go through the list. Yes. Uh, actually, I have a list right here of all our listeners. There's seven. And uh, three of them I really like. Four of them I have issues with. So should we go through that right now? Yeah, I think so. Okay, great. I did notice, and I, I think I pointed this out to you, <laughs> we have a significant listenership in Sweden. At least as of last week, our latest episode had seven listens in what I assume is Stockholm, Sweden, but maybe somewhere else. It's Stockholm know. Syndrome. Yeah, exactly. They were, they were locked in a room. Oh, that explains it. All they had to listen to was th that episode of our podcast. And then, oddly enough, I started identifying with these two idiots who were holding me captive with their <laughs> stupid opinions. Well, you're with us for the long haul now, Sweden. <laughs> so this is a shout-out to all our listeners in Sweden. Uh, wherever the hell they're listening to us. We appreciate your business. We are grateful for you. We hear you. We don't speak Swedish, but we hear you all the same. We listen. We do. We, lo we love the way you sound when you're a Muppet chef. Feel um, free to call in. <laughs> and that number again. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Uh, great, so this week we're, we're, should we, should we check in? Should we say how we're doing? I feel like we've been, we've been skipping past this part of the podcast. Well, we, we've been trying to cut down on the time. True. Um, we That's go, true. we do go on and on. We do. I do especially. Um, I think we can most sort of die. I feel like we're sort of continuing the last episode, kind of. Yeah. Because we're staying in the, the, the Marvel universe. The, Correct. The cinematic universe to be exact. Right, which is different from the comics. Yeah. Uh, good. So, maybe we'll consider that we've already checked in, and we can now press forward. So, the new Marvel show, which uh, comes, I, comes I think, out... I think yeah. next episode, we'll, we, maybe we can go more personal. Okay. Next episode will be like we're human beings again. Yes. This is all... This is a, We are Disney shills for, <laughs> one, for one more episode. Yeah. It, even worse, we're shilling for free. Yeah. 
We're sellouts who have uh, who have earned nothing. We're by the sellout. lowest of the low. <laughs> yep. So we're scum on earth, and I uh, just wanted to make that clear to everybody. Uh, but the new show from Disney Plus is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and this is uh, it's the new Marvel show that uh, is arising to fill the void left by the ending of WandaVision. Uh, and so two episodes are out so far. The second one just came out today, the day we were recording this. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah. even look at the schedule when I texted you. I just assumed it had been long enough for another episode to be Yeah, out. I think they post in the middle of the night, Thursday night, so that people can watch it on Friday. Like me on Reddit. <laughs> exactly. And I don't want to know which subreddits you're on. Let's not even go there. Uh, right, so this is the new show, and uh, we're two episodes deep. We just watched it together. We did, which was nice. It was nice to see it together. Yeah. We watched it on a pretty big screen. Yeah, we had the curtains drawn and the surround sound on. It was a real movie theater. It's definitely a show that warrants that. I yes. Think, you know. Very cinematic. With all the, the gun-toting action. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's interesting if you contrast it with WandaVision. I mean, it feels like that show was leaning into the television, thing. at least the first few episodes. They were leaning into the TV idea pretty hard. Like, almost ridiculously hard. It was like, since it's a TV show, let's make it all about TV shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually, it, it did get more cinematic as it went along. But this show, it feels like very much the opposite, where they don't want it to be television. They want it to feel like a movie. Yeah, I mean, the first, the pilot, the first, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if you can call it a pilot when it's written in blood that the season is happening. Yeah, people, I think people still use that term, okay. even though it's not the that premiere, right. uh started out right in with a with the Falcon action sequence. Yes. Just, Pretty cool. Just boom. Zoom. Yeah, I don't I don't feel like there's a noticeable drop off in quality between a Marvel movie and the kind of action that we're seeing on a Falcon and Winter Soldier. I would imagine there there other than sort of formatting differences, they're they're putting probably the same the same production into it. Yeah, if I had to guess similar. I'd guess the budget her minute is lower for the TV shows. Mm. But that might not be true in the action sequences themselves. It um, might be because just the recipe is a little simpler also. They can, they can keep it. They don't have to... You know, smaller casts, less, mm-hmm. less stars. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I guess it's worth mentioning maybe that the, the action in this show is a little more grounded... It's pretty fantastical, but it's a little more grounded than an Avengers movie. You don't get, like, uh, hordes of aliens invading the Earth kind of thing. Or crazy magical effects. Right. As of yet. Yeah. So far, it's... uh, Yeah, I mean, it is superhero action, but, you know, the characters are super-powered to a a minor... I mean, Falcon, I think, technically, doesn't have any superpowers. He's just a very capable person with cool tech. And then, you know, Bucky, or Winter Soldier, has cool superpowers, but it's just that he's a little stronger and faster than a person could really be, and his arm is made of vibranium. So, I mean, in keeping with the Captain America comic book, the characters are more in the category of enhanced human, or slightly superhuman, uh, as opposed to, oh, I'm the Hulk, I can lift a building, or I'm Doctor Strange, I can magic you into another dimension. Um, and, and I think one of the things that I really like about this show is that they're carving out a really specific world within the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't feel like the Avengers world anymore. Yeah. It's it's kind of a more of a Captain America spinoff. Yes. Even though, obviously, Captain America, even though the story was also woven into... The Captain America movies, feel they always felt like they leaned to more that grounded... Grounded violence instead yeah. of magical, super-powered violence. Absolutely. Especially the Winter Soldier movie, the second movie which introduced that character. Um, that was the one that felt the most kind of grounded and gritty. And then the one after that, Civil War, kind of did feel like an Avengers movie because it had Iron Man. It had this massive, expansive cast. It had Iron Man in yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that it, was odd. I remember watching that and being surprised that it was 
build as a Captain America movie and not an Avengers movie. Yeah, it's easy to forget. I think it actually makes sense that it's a Captain America movie. I think because it is following plot threads from the Captain America Ooh. series, and it and it does have a, a little bit of that of that edge to it uh, that the Winter Soldier had, but it's. Um, yeah, it's easy to forget that it's that it's not supposed to be an Avengers movie because the canvas is so big. And it's also it's worth probably pointing out that the directors Joe and Anthony Russo, their first Marvel movie was Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Their second Marvel movie was Civil War, and then that was so successful that they were brought in to do uh, the next two Avengers movies. So they so, did both the Infinity War and Endgame. Correct. Yeah. So they they really came from. And and their background is pretty interesting because they were indie filmmakers. Uh, they they didn't have a ton of big hit movies under their belts. Their first large scale action movie, I think, was their first Captain America movie, and then, you know, just a few years later, they were doing Endgame, which was the biggest movie ever made. <laughs> um, so they've done okay for themselves. <laughs> They're doing all right. And then I think their I think their new movie is again some kind of intimate little indie thing. I don't really know anything about it. Something with Bill Murray, probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Bill Murray being sad and alienated. Uh, sort of staring into his reflection in a shop window while it's raining. With some 20-something 20, 20 indie female actress. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, who would it be now? It used to be Scarlett Johansson, and now it would be... Uh, who's that person? Not Greta Gerwig either. I don't know. Whoever that person is now. <laughs> I don't know who people are. I watch cartoons. Okay, fair enough. Should we talk about cartoons? Someday. Someday we will. What's I feel like I feel like I interrupted you and we sort of skipped the premise of the show or Yeah, or, let's try and let's recap it a little bit. It was my you. fault. <laughs> uh, right, so the uh, and spoilers here for Endgame. Probably spoilers for all all these movies. Uh, we're gonna have to talk about it. So, Endgame was basically the climax of the whole Marvel universe up to that point. Phase three. Phase three. Endgame was the the exclamation point. Yeah, yeah, but it was it wasn't just the culmination of phase three. It was the culmination of the whole thing. Yeah, it, it felt like they actually could have ended the Marvel Cinematic Universe with that movie. If they had wanted to end it, which they clearly didn't. If they decided they hated money. Right. Which they decided... <laughs> but at the last minute, they decided they liked money. But wait, we love money. <laughs> let's let's just do a 180 here. Uh, yeah, so then... And then the end of Endgame, there was very much a feeling of passing the torch. So uh, Tony Stark died, and Steve Rogers went back into the past and lived... Steve Rogers, Captain America, went back into the past lived an entire life with the woman that he loved, and when he reappeared in the present, he was an old man. So that's where we left Steve Rogers. Uh, and this show begins with his funeral. So he presumably he's just died of old age. That happened off screen, mm-hmm. um, which is quite bittersweet. And now there are two, uh, two of his supporting characters... Uh, Sam Wilson, the Falcon, and Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, uh, two of his former sidekicks, are kind of left trying to carry on his legacy. Um, And I I think it was in Endgame that Steve gave his shield, his iconic shield, to Sam. Right? He did. So he was passing on, the idea was he was passing on the mantle of Captain America to Sam Wilson, the Falcon, so that he would be the new Captain America. And in the beginning of Falcon and Winter Soldier, Sam has given the shield back to the government, to the to the Smithsonian, is it? Yes. Yeah. Um, so he's decided he's not going to try to explicitly follow in Steve's footsteps. He doesn't feel like it's his place to do that. You have to stop hitting the table. It's, it's being hurt. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. Being hurt? Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant... From your karate. Chops. I thought you meant it was affecting the microphone. Oh, that's really what I meant. Oh, okay. I think we once we when we watch a violent TV show, you just seem to be karate chopping. Wait, really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've gotten deep in character for this one, you guys. I think um, to to sort of jump off from where it left off from Endgame, the the premiere episode was different than what I expected. Mm. It was very... I mean, there it started out with action sequences, but then 
the entire rest of the episode really just focused on sort of unexciting personal stories yeah. about the characters, which in contrast to, I mean, to, to catch everyone up, it makes sense, but it was, it, it felt very odd um, to have your first episode sort of be just kind of following these two characters around and just seeing what they're up to. Well, for one thing, it's interesting that they don't interact in the first episode. Mm-hmm. They're just completely on separate journeys. Um, yeah, it it's not an episode that was v- overall very exciting in and of itself. Felt like it was very much set up. I do think that speaks to a certain amount of confidence on the part of the storytellers. Mm-hmm. They know you're going to watch episode two. Yeah, they they know their audience is invested. You care about these characters. You're excited about the show. And so, and this is the sense in which it's really, really, really not a pilot, right? Yeah. Pilot would be an episode that you produce in order to pitch the show first to a network. Maybe someone will watch this. Right. And then if you like this, oh my gosh, won't you be excited about what we have next? But, uh, but this was much more in the spirit of, look, we know you're invested. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to take a full episode just to catch up with these characters emotionally. Uh, and yeah, there's action, and the action is cool, but the emphasis really was on what are the, you know, what are the kind of crossroads in their lives that Sam and Bucky are at. Uh, Stuff like that is usually nestled in, like, the middle of a season of a show. Mm. Like, they hit the ground running, right. and then at some point, they try to develop the sort of emotional, personal side of a character. Yeah. Um, which which makes sense, because, yeah, you want to get people's interest. Um so it's interesting to think that they sort of got that out of the way right away, and presumably, you know, the the, the story isn't going to slow down to to take a moment to see, you know, how Bucky's dating life is doing. <laughs> we know it's bad, right? It is not going well. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of I didn't love that episode, but I kind of respect. That they did it that way? Yeah, same. I feel the same way. I wasn't, um, I wasn't excited. After watching it, I it sort of felt like the prequel to the show. Right. Well, and they did do a good job of ending it on a sort of cliffhanger. Mm. Where the, the last thing that... And I think we do have to talk about exactly what happens. Yeah. The last thing that happens is Sam and Bucky separately are watching TV. And in, in what is basically a violation of the spirit of Sam handing the, the shield to the Smithsonian, the government has now introduced a new Captain America. So the, his understanding was, if I give them the shield, they'll make it part of this permanent exhibit on my mm. friend Steve. And so his legacy will be that people can go and see the shield uh, and think about what a, what a hero he was. And instead, they, they said, thank you so much for the shield, and then they turned around and gave it to someone else. Someone, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, yes, a guy who looks maybe a little <laughs> bit like Quentin Tarantino. Uh, a guy called John Walker, played by Wyatt Russell. And so that was the kind of big twist at the end of episode one. And and I think that is a good cliffhanger, um, because you could see that it would be very upsetting to both of the main characters. And it's also upsetting for the audience. He comes out there, and it's really interesting how much was done there visually, because he doesn't say a word. He just comes out, he's wearing this costume, and there's a smug look on his face. And that's all you need. He just looks like kind of a douchebag, yeah. and we all immediately hate him. He's wearing that uniform, uh, and you can see this reaction on social media, um, where people, you know, people feeling like, oh, there's something about this guy. He just looks racist, or he just looks like a bad dude, or whatever. <laughs> you know, uh, people immediately, which was, I think, that's a great way to end that first episode. And then, I think, much more interestingly, episode two begins with immediately humanizing that person. It begins with him in a locker room, interacting with his nearest and dearest, just about to step out onto a stage to meet Captain America, and how conflicted he feels about it, and how inadequate he feels, and how nervous he is. And so, and I I think part of what's cool about this is, as with WandaVision, they are very deliberately using those episode breaks to play with people's reactions. Hmm. So the end of episode one was, we know you're going to hate this guy. And then they gave us a solid week of speculating about how awful that guy was going to be. I was just stewing in it. Of course. Yeah, one week of, oh, John Walker. That lousy John Walker. I'm not sure they even said his name. But, uh, but then after one week of hating him, 
you immediately get five minutes of suddenly realizing, well, he's a human being, and he understands that this is an important symbol for people, and he feels the pressure of that, and he wants to honor Steve's legacy. And so suddenly, suddenly we're like, oh, maybe we're the douchebags for immediately hating this guy just because he looked sort of arrogant. Well, yeah, I think when he came out at the end of the first episode, the, the everything about it, the dread and the music and... and made it seem like they were presenting a villain. Yeah. That's how I took it. Yeah. Um, Which makes sense because you're seeing it through the eyes yeah. of Sam and of Bucky. Mm-hmm. So it it's I don't think it was I don't think it was a manipulative choice in a bad way. No. I think it it made sense from a storytelling perspective that your first reaction would be kind of revulsion. I mean it still sits with me it still sits with me that maybe that is the case. Yeah. It still could go that way. Right, and then the yeah the way so he becomes a pretty major player in that second episode, and he and he meets Sam and Bucky, and they have a lot of tense exchanges, and they've maintained an ambiguity about his character. He's clearly not a, a completely evil person, mm-hmm. uh, but he does have a tendency to be smug and kind of bossy, and you know maybe he has a sense of entitlement. He's not the most likable person either. I think it's really well cast, by the way. I think because uh, Wyatt Russell, is that the name? That's what you said. I think that's right. <laughs> Kurt Russell's son, actually. Kurt Russell, who played uh, Ego in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Never heard two. of him. You've never heard of Ego? Of Kurt Russell. Oh, okay. So we have to go back now. Is a he bit. the guy who escaped from somewhere? Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah, he's escaped from Alcatraz. Um, so... <laughs> So Wyatt Russell's great in this role because he can, he can be vulnerable uh, and he can you know he can play the human moments, um, but he does a little bit have a face that you want to slap, uh, and uh, and he's sort of playing into that. Which I just great. kept shouting, "What's in the suitcase in Pulp Fiction?" Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't look that much like Quentin Tarantino. I think it's just when it, when the top half of his face is covered, he has that sort of jawline. And yeah, no, I can see it. I can see it. Um, so I don't know. I, I really l- like that. I like that they and and it's very consistent with that character of John Walker in the comic books, where he's kind of a jerk, and people don't really like him. People don't really take to him, um, but he's a hero. I mean, he's trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. He's just a much more flawed person than Steve Rogers, um, and uh, and and I think you know some people have have argued that he's a much more interesting character than Steve Rogers because he's much more relatable. He's not It would hard to be, it would be hard to be less interesting than Steve Rogers, I think. Wait, what do you mean? Or I just find he was just so poster boy. Yeah. I thought the movies were fine, but and I think that's the way his character's supposed to be, sort of well, I'll never do anything. I was I was raised in the golden era. <laughs> in my day, you know, we held the door for women. <laughs> right. I, I both agree and I don't. I mean, I, I feel like... I think Steve Rogers is interesting be, because, because he's a character without any major flaws. And, and somehow that... Somehow, like, not having a personality is... He, he has a personality. But, uh, but, but somehow what's distinctive and unique about him is that he's not that quirky or flawed. Like, like, he's a lot like Superman, right? I mean, I, th- I think he's a better character than Superman. But uh, it's cool to have someone in your universe who is the kind of moral ideal, uh, partly because it's just interesting to think about what that person would actually be like, but also because it forces other characters to react to that. Um, he's like the Ned Stark of... The Marvel Universe. That's a really good analogy. Uh, I know. I, I was thinking it as you were saying it because I know your your affection for Ned Stark. Yeah. As this sort of person who a lot of people are frustrated with because of his uh, code of ethics. Yeah. And why it's like, well, oh, do the right thing, Ned slash Captain America. Um, right. It's it's uh, it's admirable that you're interested in these high moral characters. Yeah, I mean, I'm not interested in them exclusively. Like, my favorite comic book character is still Wolverine, who was my favorite when I was 12 years old. Uh, and obviously he's much more of an anti-hero. Um, 
I still idealized in a lot of ways because he's the coolest guy in the room and uh, and he's the best there is at what he does. Although what he does isn't very nice. <laughs> uh, Somebody's got to do it. Exactly. These yeah, people yeah. aren't going to cut their own faces off. I, <laughs> well, maybe they will. They, they will. We're getting back into it's Game of a, Thrones Just now. a different approach to the, to the problem. Someone's got to cut his face off. Maybe it'll be him. Uh... Yeah, I mean, my favorite character in Game of Thrones is still Jamie Lannister, who's ah. very much an anti-hero. So you know, I'm not I'm not saying the Boy Scouts are are the most interesting. Uh, and I would say a point of contrast between Ned Stark and someone like Captain America is, uh, well, actually, to quote Tony Stark in the first Avengers movie, uh, Steve Rogers is a living legend who kind of lives up to the legend. Ah, yeah. Whereas Ned Stark is a a deeply moral person who, who bears enormous responsibility and does the best that he can. Mm. Uh, he's not flawed in the sense of being uh, being morally compromised, but he is flawed in the sense that he can't always live up to the the conundrums that he is faced with. Whereas Probably it's just a difference in the in genre or even medium. Like comic book characters, comic book heroes usually usually find a way to triumph even when it seems impossible. Whereas Game of Thrones characters uh, don't necessarily. <laughs> they do all. That. I mean, the interesting thing about the Captain America, the first movie, is that they use that sort of comic book hero idea and put it in the context of like the democratic pop propaganda machine right. during the war which was hokey but it was it was it was fun and you know yeah. if Ned Stark had that <laughs> and then he was frozen and brought back maybe he you know could have also lived up to his own legend that's interesting yeah that that first movie did play a lot with the iconography of it and, and now it here we are Steve Rogers is Punching a Nazi. Right. Yeah, he was a, he was explicitly created to be a propaganda character and then and then he had to you know learn what it meant to really be a hero and stuff. Um that yeah, I mean I think the I think the journey of that character through all those movies was pretty compelling. I think Chris Evans did a great job with it. He's not the most interesting character. And like Ned Stark one of the most interesting things about him is the way other people respond even after he's gone, mm. right? So, you know, Ned is Ned is gone, but he isn't gone. He remains this kind of hovering presence behind uh, any, anyone with any kind of sense of values <laughs> in the world. And the same thing with Steve Rogers, right? The, the, I think this whole show is going to be about, one of the things it's going to be about is people kind of living in the shadow of his, of his legacy. I think um, watching the second episode, it definitely seems like they're they're using this concept of of um, how people um, find each other in their shared grief. Hmm. You know, it's sort of um, um, the the friendship of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, I'm reading it as they're sort of building it as that kind of story. How like when when people lose someone that they somehow relate strongly to the other people or person who also feel that loss right. significantly, which is which is it's cool because it's a very it's a real and sort of tender subject, but they're also sort of the way they're treating it. I don't think we're recording. We were recording. All right, so we just had a little hiccup where an error message popped up on the screen. I freaked out because I didn't think we'd been recording this whole time. I was wrong. The recording's fine. And I just made it weird. I think I was just getting too emotional for you. You you panicked. As soon as you started talking about shared grief, I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I could go there right now. Um, no, but I, I loved what you were saying. Uh, the, you know, people people finding each other in the shared experience of, of grieving for the same person. Yeah, which is interesting. It's an interesting sort of uh, venue to deal with that. 
and it's a, I think it's a great idea to sort of underlay that. Um, it's such a contrast to the action movie that it is. Yeah. And also the way they deal with it is this, uh, the, um, the buddy humor right. thing that they they were really hammering hard uh, in the episode two there they um, which at one point I was I was it was getting to be too much but then they pushed it over the cliff <laughs> and I was like okay that's hilarious yeah they really leaned into that and well I, th- I think it's worth mentioning you know these two characters they don't have a warm and fuzzy history with each other mm. at all so they're both former partners of Captain America. Uh, but Bucky was his partner during World War II. So it was a very, very long time ago. And he was very young at the time. I think he was a teenager. In the comics, he was like a child. I think maybe in the movie, it's more like he was a teenager. But um, but anyway, uh, you know, obviously the Falcon is his partner in, in the modern era. And when they first meet, Bucky, who was thought to be dead it turns out, has been brainwashed by Hydra and has been uh, a ruthless assassin and killer for decades who gets put on ice and then unfrozen in order to complete an assassination Mm -hmm. and then put on ice again. So he hasn't aged, but he has been spending the last, whatever, 70 years killing the people that Hydra wants killed. And Hydra's a terrorist organization of very, very bad people. So when Sam and Bucky meet for the first time, Bucky is brainwashed and is explicitly a, a evil bad guy. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I, I don't think their, their relationship has really progressed very much from that point. Maybe sort of grudging trust and respect for each other. If Steve vouches for you, I guess you're okay. I don't remember exactly where they left it. But the, the history is not, uh, oh, hey, we're both Steve's partner, so I guess we're buds. The history is much more tense and conflicted. It sort of feels, you know, when you're talking about the timeline of their partnerships with Captain America, it does feel sort of like like a love triangle in that way, you know? Yeah. Where it's like, it's like love during time, like love during cryogenetic time travel. Like, well, I loved him first, but I loved him most recently. <laughs> Whose love is stronger? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. There, there is that element to it, for sure. And then obviously they'll we'll end up together. I mean, I hope so. Uh, yeah, I, I gather there are fans who ship Sam and Bucky. You're familiar with shipping? Um, it's a thing in in fan communities. I think it's short for relationship. So if you ship two characters, it means that you would like them to end up together oh. romantically. So it's not like Wayfair, where they put people into furniture containers. and <laughs> I am not familiar with this. <laughs> uh, it's just a bad joke. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, it feels very much like that, though. It feels... That's that's what's interesting. It feels like a storyline where... Where, like, these two grieving people, like, are going to end up together. Which yeah. Is, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I assume that they're not going to end up together in a romantic way. I mean, it's Disney. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm certainly not against having homosexual romances in uh, Marvel movies or any mainstream movie. I mean, imagine with that budget. Wow. <laughs> um, but but I, I, guess I, I guess I feel like there, there's a tendency to take every fictional bromance and try to turn it into a romance. You see it with the Shakespeare plays, right? People mm-hmm. are like, oh, well, the homoerotic subtext here is totally obvious. And I'm not saying there isn't that subtext. I sort of think it's usually more interesting as subtext. Like, the idea that two heterosexual men could have a relationship that has a uh, homoerotic component, to me, that's much more interesting. Mm. It's like this podcast. Exactly. (laughs) Right? Like, the the ultimate tension of this podcast is, we probably won't end up together. Will they? (laughs) Will they or won't? It's a Sam and Diane situation. I don't know which one of us is Sam and which is Diane. But, I feel like uh, I put us off on a on a tangent. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe this is getting too uh, too political, but I I, I feel like uh, I, I don't. Know. I feel like that stuff is is more interesting as subtext. Uh, I, yeah, I just think that the, the the most interesting thing about this show to me is is probably, I mean, other than other than I love a good storyline, you know. Uh, 
an action sort of espionage mm. mix. But but um, I do think this and like that with WandaVision also, I, I really like the fact that they're trying to put an underlying emotional storyline. Yeah. Into it, and it does, and it, and it doesn't feel forced. It feels like a foundation, which is cool, right? And I respect that. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know, I think we, the audience, have spent enough time with these characters now. At least a lot of us have that uh, you know, we're invested in what happens to them. You know, and we we hope that Bucky will overcome his uh, his guilt and his trauma, and we hope that Sam will find his place in the world. I guess Sam's struggle is a little bit less well defined. Than Bucky's, right? Bucky uh, spent decades as a brainwashed assassin, and that's the burden that he carries around. And I feel like maybe Sam's dilemma is a little bit more amorphous. Mm. Um, well, it seems very. It, it's his dilemma feels more current and and human, where where you know he's dealing with race issues, like yeah. when they're stopped in Baltimore. He's dealing with the fact that. You know, Captain America gave him this shield and then the government gave it to some other sort of corn-fed quarterback white guy. <laughs> and um, That's really well put. Um, and it, 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 it feels current. You know, he's struggling with the, the family business. Yeah. And, and um, so it's kind of, it's, his character is really interesting in that way that it feels like something anyone could be struggling with. Right. Yeah, he's much more of an everyman. I think maybe we should linger a little bit on the question of race because that has been pretty front and center in this second episode. Mm-hmm. Um, they introduce the character of Isaiah Bradley, who's the black Captain America, uh, who was created in, in the in the fictional world. He was created, I guess, well, they, they didn't exactly say when, but he was a, uh, he, he followed up Steve Rogers, but he was kept secret. So he was the, the, it's a reference, apparently this character was created, and again, not that long ago, within the last 20 years or so, he was created as a reference to the Tuskegee experiments, you know, where uh, the U.S. government really did experiment medically on African Americans, uh, which is horrifying. That one time. (laughs) Right, but only that once. Just the one. Uh, So, uh, so, you know, so he's, he's obviously... He's created as a character who represents America's troubled racial history, uh, and that's very much what he represents in the show. Wait, he was also a Captain America, or just he was in like the comic world? In or? the comics, yeah, I'm not sure if it was stated in the show, like what his code name was. They didn't really. They sort of just yeah. They were oh, he was just a super soldier. Yeah. Yeah. So in the comics, he was the Black Captain America, oh. who kind of never got celebrated, never got his moment in the sun because he was black. Hmm. Uh, I, I haven't read that comic, so I shouldn't say too much more. Let me tell you what happened in this comic I didn't read. Exactly. I'd love to. I'll just spend 10 minutes telling you about the comic I didn't read. Uh, but, and then there's also, there's also a really interesting moment where they're walking through Baltimore, right? And uh, this young black kid says to Sam Wilson, you know, my dad says you're called the Black Falcon. And Sam's like, wait, why? Black Falcon? Just because I'm black. And the kid's like, well, yeah. And Sam goes, well, are you black kid? <laughs> and it's, the moment's kind of forced. It feels, it feels like it's sort of shoehorned in there. But it, it also feels like it's, a, it's an attempt to... Uh, it, it's sort of a meta attempt to comment on the, the tendency to maybe to racialize people. And the, the sense that just because Sam Wilson is a black superhero doesn't mean he has to represent the whole black community that he he could be you know like an individual um and that seems like a like a good even again even though that moment maybe was a little corny it seems like a useful message right that that kid's delivery was was funny i thought and he was like i guess (laughs) i was like good job it was a cute moment yeah it was a cute moment um but yeah but then also very much on on theme um i i mean i should say i just i loved that second episode I thought it was it was great. Um, the show yeah. the the story's really picking up. There's a lot that's going on. Character interactions are fun. Uh, it doesn't feel unfocused, but there's just an enormous amount of uh, of information of, of events. Um, so it's almost like the perfect opposite of episode one, where episode one was mostly a slow burn. 
Yeah. And episode two, it feels like things are really ramping up. Yeah, not it's not obvious what direction things are going, but it's they're moving yeah. for sure. And there's yeah. there's action and there's um, humor and there's uh, intrigue, yeah, um, intrigue, emotional depth that's happening, which is sort of all you know. That's that's the uh, all, all the good things. Oh, and that theme of grief that you brought up, of course, ties it to WandaVision because that show was all about someone coping with grief. Yeah. So that's a cool thing, you know, the, basically, Endgame was this massive superhero spectacular, uh, and not to say there wasn't emotional content in it, there was, but it was basically about, uh, you know, a conflict so large that it decides the fate of the universe, and then everything that Marvel has released since then has been about dealing with the aftermath and the fallout, and it, it's not this attempt to say oh, okay, well, that's over now and we can all get back to our lives. You know, the the uh, billions of people that Thanos uh, snapped out of existence are now back, but five years have passed and they don't really have a place in the world anymore and those issues are not being swept under the rug. Those issues are front and center. Like, what, what kind of a disruption... I mean, I think if anything... Okay, they are kind of underselling just how disruptive that actually would be. Like, it, it would be... It would probably be cataclysmic if that actually they happened. They would have to make a whole series just about that. Right, really yeah. They, they are playing it like, like, oh, there's a refugee crisis, when in fact this, is, this would be so much worse. They refer to it as the blip. The, that is true. <laughs> they do refer to it as the blip. Um, and the, but there, there, is, uh, there is an interesting piece of the, of the puzzle where the, at least one of the groups that are being set up as antagonists in the show have this agenda to bring the world back to what it was during the blip. So first of all, it's interesting to realize, you know, there's no circumstance so horrific that someone doesn't see a, see a positive side to it. Or, or no, no circumstance so positive that someone doesn't see the negative side to it. Um, but also the, the way they describe what they're trying to get back to is kind of this world without borders, right? Their, their catchphrase, their slogan is... One world, one people, and the, one love, one heart. One heart. We Let's gotta get together, carry each other. Fear. <laughs> We're referencing oh, you're totally doing, different okay. songs. You're doing you two. I was doing Bob Marley. <laughs> you know, it's just like um, it's just like that great Irish band Bob Marley used to say. <laughs> uh, so, so you know, these are these are basically radicals. Maybe they're terrorists, uh, but the ideology that they espouse doesn't sound like particularly evil on the face of it. Yeah, I can't keep track of who's against nationalism and who's for it anymore. <laughs> Wait, I thought... <laughs> well, and, and those those characters also are treated as human beings, right? We encounter them when they're wearing masks and they're super strong and they're extremely threatening and we're like, oh, good, the bad guys. Now the good guys have to punch the bad guys and everything will be fine. And then the next thing we know, we're in a scene where it's just the bad guys, and they're you know they they have faces, they take off the masks, and they they're in love with each other, and they're getting help from ordinary people. Yeah, and, and she had very nice teeth. So there you go. One you of these know. one of these is a, is a pretty young woman. Yep. Uh, so so I mean, once again, our our tendency to sift people into these black and white categories is being challenged by the show, which is you know it's pretty cool. Yeah. I th- I, I I'm interested in where where the the good guys are are. It's such a complicated issue, and and I my feelings on sort of militarism and nationalism and war, etc. It's it's a it's a crazy complicated issue, and a show like this really can sort of mix you up. Yeah. You, know, you don't know how to feel. You know, we're, we're talking, you know, Captain America is is a hero, but he's also, you know, in the support of, you know, the biggest military operations on the planet. And, like, is what is that, what does that mean? And who, you know, it's it's not a black and white issue. It's very complex. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's, it's worth noting that you can tell a complicated story and still make it fun and exciting. You know, no, nothing... None of this nuance is detracting from the fact that 
it's also a cool show about people punching each other on the top of a truck. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean there are They aren't... sure did. <laughs> they did punch each other on top of a truck, and it was great. Um, and, and it's not like there aren't people we like more than others or relate to more than others or, or you know, ideologies that we like more than others. Uh, but throwing that little bit of complexity in there, or even a lot of complexity, um, it just makes it more exciting. It just makes it more interesting to watch. Yeah, and more, it feels more real then it's like the conversation we were having about uh, Arsène Lipton. Right. Um, <laughs> having, and, and Game of Thrones. Yeah. There's this concept of, of, of these gray, gray area characters where it's, um, where, you know, they're, they're supposed to be written as human beings. Right. You know, with, with conflicting interests and they, you know, they have their own conflicting feelings, but they're just, you know, they still have to get up in the morning and, Strap their vibranium shield <laughs> to their back. Right. Put on their spandex suit one leg at a time, like everyone else. Is that how you do it? I never. I, never I do. Was I do it two legs. Good for time. you, man. You're my hero. In a sort of <laughs> judo esque back pop. Oh my god. Thing. Now I really wish we did have a video component to this podcast. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll get one. You don't don't worry, listeners. Yeah. Next episode, we'll see. We'll do that. <laughs> Um, no, and it, and it's it's not like maybe I'm maybe I'm repeating myself, but I hope so. Uh, <laughs> it's not like you can't have both. Like you can have good guys and bad guys in a morally complicated world, kind of like the real world, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you get you get someone like uh, Osama bin Laden, right? He's a bad guy. It's not that hard to understand that he's a bad guy, but that doesn't mean that he's not intelligent, well-educated, maybe maybe loyal to certain people, that maybe that he has courage. I mean, that you can be a bad person and on the wrong side of a conflict and still have virtues and even moral virtues. Uh, and similarly, you know, you can say uh, in that particular conflict, you could say, okay, well, that makes us the good guys, right? Well, sure, in the sense that we're opposed to the bad guy. In the sense that we won. Well, <laughs> that helps too. Uh, oh, something, I don't know if this is the moment to talk about it, but I, I'd love to get into, if you don't mind, the the comic book history of Bucky the Winter Soldier. Yeah, I I just um, I just rewatched I most of the Marvel movies. I watch them right when they come out, and then I I'm not I'm not over the moon about the the cinematic universe. I think it's all very strong, but it's in general not characters that I you know I'm an X Men fan. Mm. Um, X-Men fan. Yeah. I'm an ex-X-Men fan. I don't, I don't know what you mean anymore. <laughs> um, uh, but I enjoy them. But I had to go back. So I rewatched most of The Winter Soldier, and then I skipped through bits of um, Civil War. Yeah. And then just, just a f- uh, when we were watching WandaVision was the first time I had seen Endgame. So I, I brushed up on the characters... Via the cinematic universe, but I I've never read any uh, comics with any of these characters. So, lay it on me. Okay, I'm gonna lay it on you a little. Here bit. we go. I'm not an expert on Captain America comics specifically, but I did read the run uh, by Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting. This is in the mid 2000s that introduced the Winter Soldier, uh, and I think I know enough about the history of that character to sort of explain what happened. And I think it's really fascinating. I hope you think it's fascinating. I'm sure I will. Okay, we'll try. <laughs> right, so so Captain America uh, is one of the original generation of superheroes, the, what's called the Golden Age. So this is World War II, basically. Super, sorry, why are you smiling? Just the Golden Age. It's like exactly what I was sort of poking fun at. Like, yeah. The Golden Era. <laughs> well, yeah, it was the Golden Age for America, but also... It was the golden age for... Uh, a lot of things. For Yeah, for everything. <laughs> Basically, the late 30s were great. Uh, no, that's not what we're saying. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, the, the, the term of art for that period in comic book history is the golden age. It's the, it's the first. For Marvel or for every... For all? So technically, I mean, Marvel as Marvel didn't exist until the early 60s. So much later, 20 years later. Okay. Uh, although it had precursors, which mm-hmm. is kind of what we're what we're getting into. So first it was Timely Comics, then it was Atlas Comics, then it was named Marvel Comics. So Captain America was a Timely Comics character, the company that eventually became Marvel. 
Why are you laughing? It's just it's not d- funny. <laughs> Timely comics. It's like it's being handed out by like a newsboy on the corner. Timely, timely, get your timely. Captain America fights the Nazis. <laughs> they don't exist yet because it's 1890. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, uh, I, I'm trying to not interrupt you, but I'm so bad at it. Well, no, I mean I think you should interrupt me because otherwise it's just me talking. So I, that's, that's pretty boring. That's what that's what they they pay for in Sweden. Oh, okay. Well, if our Swedish fans demand it, then there's nothing else I can. Right, so Superman comes out in 1938. He's the first superhero, uh, and he fights the Nazis. And then every other uh, company under the sun wants to create their own superheroes, and they're all fighting the Nazis. Oh, really? And, and uh, yeah, and Captain America was uh, was the one of these early. I think he debuted in 1940 or something like that, like right around the same time. And what would we write about if there were never Nazis? Uh, there would be nothing. <laughs> <laughs> the beginning of fiction it would was be all in the be- 1930s. <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, in many ways, the whole genre kind of comes out. I mean, I don't know, I think Superman was kind of created as an anti-Nazi, because there was a couple Jewish guys who, um, who created him. So Captain America was basically, how can, they were trying to out-Superman Superman. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess they were, I mean, if you think of Superman as, like, this icon, if, 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 if I sat together with a, with a group and tried to think of how to compete with that, the easiest thing to do is to make it more American. Yeah. So he's not an alien. And <laughs> his name is Captain America. And that's basically all you have to do. Yeah. And then have him fight the Nazis. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. The the I mean he was yeah, he was a patriot an explicitly patriotic character with, with the flag baked into his DNA. And he was created at a time when when American patriots Superman was an in- immigrant. So That's correct. And therefore like, immediately how suspect. can we capitalize <laughs> against Although he's an immigrant who grew up in Kansas, so, you know, he's on the bubble there. Um, yeah, so Captain America's created it, and he was created by uh, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby, interestingly, would go on to co-create basically all the important Marvel characters of the 60s with Stan Lee. Uh, so much later. So, so Kirby was, uh, you know, when, when Marvel, as Marvel started to exist in the in the '60s, Kirby was already a veteran. So he was in Timely Comics. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so Kirby's the original generation of comic book creators. Yeah. Co-created Captain America. Eventually, the you know the X Men and uh, the Fantastic Four, and you know almost everyone you can think what of. What a guy! I mean, he was a hell of a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and and still considered one of the greatest comic book artists of all time. He had an incredibly distinctive style. Uh, no one really could do Kirby other than Kirby, and and his work is instantly recognizable. Anyway, right. So, uh, and Captain America, like most of the superheroes of that time, he had a kid sidekick called Bucky. Oh. Right, so Batman had Robin, and uh, Superman had, uh, I don't know, nothing, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Olsen. Superman had oh, Jimmy right, Olsen. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, who doesn't even have powers. And, and Bucky was just, he was kind of just the generic kid sidekick. Like, I, don't, I don't think he had any special powers, or at least nothing Cap didn't have. He didn't have his own weapon. He would just punch Nazis in the face. The superpower was having a name that ends with Y. Exactly. <laughs> he, was, he was a kid who went and fought Nazis uh, uh, with his buddy. Oh, he went and fought, he fought the Nazis also. Oh, yeah. And he was a child. Yeah. Yeah, and he had, he had a superhero costume. He wasn't Jimmy Olsen, because he was, he was a superhero. Okay. But, uh-huh. like, not a very distinctive superhero in his own right. And then, um, you know, and, and then basically that era of comics... Ended, and a lot of these characters after World War II, a lot of them were just sort of uh, put on ice. Uh, partly because yeah, the sort of initial fervor had died out, and partly also because there was a kind of assault on comic books uh, for, for reasons of, of moral... Basically, there was a moral panic over comic books mm-hmm. that was started by a guy called Frederick Wortham... Uh, who was a psychologist. We don't have to get into all the details. Wow, I'm interested, though. But it's pretty interesting. Maybe another time. It's fairly interesting. (laughs) Those ding-dang Puritans. Yeah, yeah. Wortham said that comic books were basically destroying America's youth, and Congress kind of believed him, and it led to uh, superhero comics in particular being kind of stigmatized. That's what started the Red Scare, I believe. Uh, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Could be related. I don't know. Could be related. Uh, It was definitely a moral panic along the lines of the Red Scare. Anyway, uh, so so when Captain America is brought back into what is now the Marvel Universe by Stan Lee, uh, he has to explain why this guy from World War II is still around. So he comes up with this whole story about how he was fighting... Uh, might have been Baron Zemo. 
I think he was fighting Baron Zemo. Anyway, uh, he had to he had to defuse this rocket, and the rocket went out over the ocean, and then he fell into the ocean, and then he drifted into the Arctic, and he was frozen in a block of ice, and this is how he survived. This whole ridiculous contrived mm-hmm. story of like why why he's not twenty years older and kind of too old to be. A the superhero. science checks out. Uh, so yeah, though it's all yeah, it's all perfectly. <laughs> It's all been signed off on by Neil deGrasse Tyson, so it's fine. But uh, but so part of this whole story, and I hope I have all, all this right, because it's sort of just out of my memory, but part of this whole story is that Bucky died. Bucky died, in, I think, in the, in, the, in the same explosion that catapulted Cap into the ocean where he ended up in the Arctic and ended up being frozen. Uh, and so Captain America is thought out and revived and becomes the leader of the Avengers, and Bucky is this tragedy in his past. Basically, the, the kid he couldn't save. Mm. I should never have gotten him involved in the combat in the first place. He was too young. He was too innocent. Yeah, I think that's a good argument. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably you shouldn't have, you idiot. I should never should have given a 12-year-old that semi-automatic. You know, in retrospect. And so, so for a long time, you know, comic book characters come back from the dead all the time for any number of reasons. But there were, there were a handful of characters who everyone believed had to stay dead. And it was basically, it was Bucky... And it was uh, uh, Gwen Stacy, right? A cat, uh, Spider-Man's uh, girlfriend. Oh, yep. And, and Uncle Ben, right? another Spider-Man character. Because, because their deaths were seminal moments for the main characters, right? Yeah. So Uncle Ben has to be dead because if he's not dead, Spider-Man isn't Spider-Man. And Gwen Stacy has to be dead because Spider-Man learned an important lesson about responsibility. And, and Bucky has to be dead for the same reason, right? Because Partly because he's kind of a silly character who feels pretty stuck in the 40s anyway. But also because it deepens Steve Rogers to have that tragedy in his backstory. So that's where it was left until <laughs> his deep dark backstory. He knew someone once who died. <laughs> oh my know. God! How did he live with it? <laughs> well, he, it was his protege. He was I responsible know, just... for him. You're being very glib, Will. I'm sorry. To use a Tom Cruise term, you're just, glib. It just yeah. It's contrasting with Spider-Man, who's like girlfriend or wife and like father figure died but Captain America like well this kid died just some neighborhood kid it was his fault he shouldn't have gotten anyway uh, right so then in I want to say the mid 2000s but don't quote me on that this guy Ed Keith Brubaker said in the mid 2000s <laughs> damn it I told you not to uh, Ed Brubaker started writing Captain America and he had an idea for how to bring Bucky back that wouldn't feel forced. And so he he created this whole retcon, right? Retroactive continuity of of how Bucky had been found. And you know, he that he the explosion didn't kill him, but it blew off his arm, and so his arm had to be replaced by an artificial one. And then he was put on ice. I think it was in his version, I think it was the Soviets hmm. who put him on ice and made him their... Well, he does have that red engine. star on his arm in the in the show. Is that yeah, I think all back to that? Yes. It I felt there is Soviet. Yes. Right. So in the show, it was Hydra who did this. I believe in the comic, it was Russia, and they used him to carry out Black Ops. Um, and there was also a little bit of a retcon about what Bucky was doing for the Americans during World War II. I think Ed Brubaker aged him up a little bit. He's like, okay, he was a kid sidekick, but he was, let's say he was 17 instead of 12. It's funny if he came back as a 12-year-old with the arm and he's supposed to be a villain. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there was a retcon there, too, where I, th- I think Brubaker's idea was that Bucky the whole time was kind of the Black Ops operative, that, that he was there not just to be this kid sidekick, but also to sneak around and maybe kill people who needed to be killed behind um, the scenes. So he was already a little bit of a shady character as a 17-year-old, and then he got captured, he got brainwashed, etc. And so then he returns as the Winter Soldier as a villain now in Captain America, but a villain with whom Cap has this incredibly intense And this is in the 2000s? I think that's right. Okay. I think that's right. Uh, so when I, kind of when I was getting back into reading comics. Um, and so there's, there's a really interesting meta level to all this, where you have a modern writer who finds a classic character that feels completely antiquated, like he completely belongs to the past, and then finds a way to reinterpret him that not only is he valid, but he's way darker and more interesting than, he, than he'd ever been before. Uh, that is cool. Yeah. So I guess that was all a digression, but I, I, think the, I think the meta story there is really interesting. And someone did ask uh, Brubaker, you know, what's his reaction to the new show? Um, 
and then this is maybe opening a whole can of worms, but he, he, he's conflicted about it because he doesn't own this intellectual property. He did all this work for Marvel. Um, it, it, was, it was work for hire, right? He was paid for it at mm-hmm. the time. He doesn't own the characters. And so the, the Winter Soldier is, a, you know, he, he created that character as the Winter Soldier. Uh, it doesn't, technically it doesn't matter because he wouldn't own him anyway because he created him for Marvel either way. Yeah. But, uh, but basically, the character that he created has now become big business, like enormous business, right? And making millions and millions and millions of dollars. And Brubaker gets like maybe a thank you note or something like that. And so, so he gets like a, a, a cheese basket. Yeah, edible I, I think, arrangement. I think they sent him a DVD or you know, I mean, they, you know, and he's in the credits. Marvel does own these characters, right? They're they're totally within their rights to do whatever they want. With the, it's all above board, right? It's, yeah. But you know, it's also understandable that someone like Brubaker would feel, um, yeah, would have mixed feelings about the success of the show. Um, and I f- think he's also the one. I think he's also the one who, who later on, who introduced the idea of Sam Wilson as Captain America. Well, I could have that wrong. Mm-hmm. That was later. At at various points, both of these characters have been Captain America in the comics. Mm-hmm. Bucky, I think Bucky was first. At some point, Steve Rogers had died, and uh, and Bucky took over. And he was Captain America who carried a gun, and that was, you know, revolutionary. And then it was later than that that um, that Sam Wilson took over. So they've both got, you know, various various people have worn the mantle, uh, including John Walker, who's a character. Who also fired a gun in episode two. That's correct. That's a good point. Um, so, he, so he was, before either of those guys, he was Captain America back in the late 80s. I think I'm a sentimentalist at heart, so for me... I, I also like the idea that Bruce Wayne will always be Batman. Um, if you ask me personally, do I want him to be replaced in the comics permanently? The answer would be no, but very definitively no. You know, I, I have an attachment to Bruce Wayne. Um, and, and I think, I think par- part of the magic of comic books is that they don't necessarily need to move forward in every way. Like, for example, you can have Batman have a series of adventures, each of which builds narratively on the last one Mm -hmm. without him aging in real time or even aging at all. Yeah. Um, Actually, there's an interesting footnote on that, which is in the early years of the Marvel Universe, I think as we talked about last time, one of their selling points was the continuity was tight. Yeah. Unlike DC, they were really keeping track of where each character was and what they were doing, who was dead, who was alive at the time in in the 60s. And part of that was Stan Lee had decided that time would move forward in the Marvel Universe at a constant rate, but not the same rate as the real world. So he said, look, here's the deal. Every three years that go by in the real world will be one year in the Marvel Universe. So that way, you know, we're not committed to aging Peter Parker out of high school, you know, right away. <laughs> but we are committed to the idea that 12 years from now, uh, it'll be time for him to leave high school. And then, and then we have to do the next thing. That pretty quickly went up. The window. Oh, really? Yeah. The The actual way that time moves in the Marvel Universe is that it mostly doesn't, but sometimes it does. Or maybe you could say it moves forward for younger characters, but not for older characters. So if a character is introduced as being 13, there's a good chance they'll become 17. But if a character is introduced as being 30, they'll probably always be 30. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they, you know, ultimately they just fudge it. Uh, every possible way. That's sort of how it works with movies too with celebrities. You know, they age to be adults and then with so much diet, fitness, facial treatments, <laughs> they sort of hit this plateau. That's a really good point. Where all of a sudden they're like this permanent age until one day they're like, you know, yeah, Michael Payne. That's Payne's. especially <laughs> true for male celebrities. I, I feel like, I feel like male celebrities are they are uh, like under twenty, or they're over seventy, or they're just normal. <laughs> yeah, or Anywhere they're... between twenty and seventy is like yeah, like a normal person. Yeah, they 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 last like an era. Right. So yeah, what else about this show? I, yeah, I'm I'm very very excited to see where the story's going next. Yeah. Uh, at the episode, the second episode also ends on a good cliffhanger. Yeah, I, I, even though we just watched it about a half an hour ago, I can't remember what it was. 
well, I don't know if I should say it uh, out loud, but uh, they're they're going to visit. They're going to prison, oh, right? To visit uh, a uh, a very dark character, and uh, I guess I'm not going to say it because so far I haven't said it, even though I could just say. It. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it makes much of a, of a difference. It probably doesn't. Stick to your guns. I'm sticking to my guns. Watch the episode. I'm uh, sorry. I was looking at the French press, but I meant to be looking at the microphone. Watch the episode and you'll find out who these crazy duo of, of grieving bromance are going to see next. Yeah. Yeah, and it's going to blow your little mind unless you didn't watch Civil War, in which case it's going to mean nothing to you and you're going to be confused. Do you want to talk about next next time? Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking that we could do a segment on the update of... The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Cool. And then I thought we could talk, maybe, if you're interested and willing to watch some anime. Absolutely. Um, so, my all-time favorite anime is called Fully Cooley. I've never even heard of it. It's, it's, you search it, it's, it's just spelled F-L-C-L. F-L-C-L. Yes. Okay. And it's only six episodes. Whoa. And it's, it's well-dubbed. Okay. So you can totally watch the dubbed version. Okay. And I would recommend it so that you so you can really um and um it was somehow inexplicably I watched this show sort of right when it came out and it's it really has a special place in my heart. So I will say going into it I love this show. Mm-hmm. Not everyone will love it. Okay. But the show is really unique. I think super creative. It's really uniquely animated. They use different styles. The music is epic. Nice. Great. It's all done by a band which I because of the anime became a huge fan of called The Pillows. Okay. And they have like 30 million albums. They seem to just put one out every day. Damn. Not really that many, but... Um, <laughs> that would be too many. But so while you're watching the show, if you're willing to also notice the, the soundtrack yeah. is all by one band, um, just like a rock trio. So it's this sort of uh, fantastic coming-of-age story with this sort of Japanese rock band backdrop. And um, it's very weird. Hmm. Um, so if you're willing to watch that... I are, am willing. Okay. I will do it. Watch the dubbed one so that you can get through it. Okay. And um, give it a chance. Awesome. I'm in. And uh, we can, you know, take a slight break from uh, from repping Disney Plus. <laughs> Until All right, they... but once again, Disney Plus is available. Ed. <laughs> they'll they'll probably buy anime. And yeah. Buy all of it. They'll... Just uh, this just in: Disney has bought Japan. <laughs> uh, that that will definitely happen. Uh, good. All right, excellent. So next week we will do uh, episode three of Falcon and Winter Soldier. We will do Fooly Cooly, and we hope that all of our viewers, our listeners in Sweden, will join us, and everybody else go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>